and turn to Philippians. We resume our series going public on this uh, second Sunday of January into this new calendar year. And incidentally, this is the season of Epiphany on the, uh, the church calendar, which is significant. Um, it is the time that we commemorate the, the gospel, the, the coming of Christ being opened to all nations, to the Gentile nations, and that means you and me as well. And the, the Magi who visited Christ and worshipped Him, and uh, I want to encourage you, that word epiphany uh, simply means an intense, hyper kind of manifestation or appearance. And that's what took place between the shepherds, the magi, and Christ. It wasn't the star that they followed as we know the story, that was the epiphany, so much as it was Christ Himself that revealed Himself to them with a great intense intentionality of heart. To say that His love and the purposes of God were intended not just for a certain select group of people, namely the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, but He has come for all people and all nations and all generations. And so we celebrate that in this season. And I want to encourage you to be attentive in your own life to the epiphanies of God as you go into this new calendar year. Be attentive to His working and moving and presence and appearance in your own life even in the most insignificant ways, He is seeking to show Himself to you and let you know that He is with you in very significant and extraordinary ways. Yeah? So watch for Him. Be attentive to His appearings. Philippians chapter 1 in your Bibles, and the Scripture is on the screen for us as well. Please keep your Bibles open, but I also want us to read this passage again together. It's been a, a few weeks since we've been together in the Word like this. So let's refresh our memories around this passage. Lift your voices, if you will, and read with me. Will you do that? This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of King Jesus, to all God's holy ones in King Jesus, who are in Philippi together with the overseers and ministers. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and King Jesus the Lord. I thank my God every time I think of you. I always pray with joy whenever I pray for you all because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. Of this I'm convinced. The one who began a good work in you will thoroughly complete it by the day of King Jesus. It's right for me to think this way about all of you, 
You have me in your hearts here in prison as I am, working to defend and bolster up the gospel. You are my partners in grace, all of you. Yes, God can bear witness how much I'm longing for all of you with the deep love of King Jesus. And this is what I'm praying, that your love may overflow still more and more in the knowledge and in all astute wisdom. Then you will be able to tell the difference between good and evil and be sincere and faultless on the day of Messiah, filled to overflowing with the fruit of right living, fruit that comes through King Jesus to God's glory and praise. It's right for me to think this way about all of you. You have me in your hearts, here in prison as I am, working to defend and bolster up the gospel. You are my partners in grace, all of you. I had us read that verse 7 again, because that is where we're going to zoom in this morning. As you know, uh, we have been unpacking this passage and unfolding uh, the many components of it, many that we're digging into, many we don't have time to dig into. But Paul says here in verse 7, which is our focus this morning, it's right for me to think this way about all of you. You have me in your hearts, here in prison as I am, working to defend and bolster up the gospel. You are my partners in grace, all of you. Say this with me, will you? Thinking rightly in God's new world. Say it again. Thinking rightly in God's new world. That is Paul's concern in these words. He uses this word think a few times in this passage. And he is concerned that the church in Philippi, this church that he has founded and has been working together with in partnership and building and in seeing the kingdom advance through them, he is concerned that they think rightly, think righteously, that their thinking is in order. It's important how we think as the people of God. So here in verse 7, we have signs of the way in which in this particular letter, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to develop and grow in their own thinking. And of course, Paul knows the context that they are in. He knows the background. He knows their surroundings in relation to the standard philosophical thought and discussions of the time. The dominant prevailing philosophies, just as we have dominant prevailing philosophies in our culture, in our world, and and in the particular uh, direction that the spirit of the world is seeking to move and influence today, in our day. Paul knew the dominant thinking in the Philippians' day. And he is concerned that in the midst of that, 
they are not shaped or, or, or adversely molded or corruptly influenced in their thinking. That they would think as the people of God should think. As sons and daughters should think. Sons and daughters of God. And it has to do with becoming genuinely human. Paul is wanting them to understand and to think and thereby to live according to how God has intended them to live their lives in a way that is genuinely human. And that is what the philosophers of the day were after as well. Just as it is today. Paul believes that he has glimpsed the real way to that genuine humanness. For the philosophers of the day, the four cardinal virtues were justice, Courage, temperance, and prudence. The first and the last of these virtues, justice and prudence, Paul picks up here when he says that it is right. It is right. It is righteous. It is just for me to think this way about them. To think. Say that with me, will you? To think. To think. The word Paul uses implies not only thoughts, but also affections and will or moral consideration. The ability not only to think, but also to control one's thoughts or one's inner attitude of mind. It is the heart at the seat of it all. The heart is, is the seat of passions as well as the mind as the seat of mental faculties. The way we think is important as the people of God. It has to do with having or developing a certain mindset as God's people, as the people of Jesus, the people of Messiah. We are to possess and nurture and cultivate a certain mindset, a certain way of thinking. We all have mindsets, a mind that is set in a certain way. And as the people of God, there is a particular mindset of right thinking, righteousness, justice that we are to possess. It's to affect our attitudes, our dispositions, our outlook. And this word that Paul uses here is the same verb that he uses in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 when he admonishes 
the church in Rome, let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. It's the same word. Then you will learn to know and to discern God's will for you. Be renewed, he says to the church in Ephesus. Be renewed in the spirit of your thinking, your mind. Again, Paul's dealing with the importance of how we think. He understood the dilemma of stinking thinking. And how as the people of God, we cannot come under the influence of stinking thinking. But the way we think is important. The attitudes that come from that thinking are important. The dispositions, the way we live, comes from that way of thinking. And so he says, let God transform you entirely into a new person. Into the new humanity that you are meant to know by changing the way you think. So there is here justice and good order and right structure. In fact, that he can wisely discern what is going on. The person who thinks rightly can discern what is going on, can discern God's presence and God's will. He has the insight the prudence, the wisdom to see what the truth is about in their situation, Paul does. And as we will see later, Paul seems to write in such a way as to gently but firmly place the Christian worldview on the map of wider beliefs about what it means to be genuinely human. Through this season of Christmas, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, we have been celebrating and focusing our thoughts and our meditations upon the coming of Christ. Christ has come to give us a new way to be human. The way that God intended from the very beginning us to be human. And instrumental and key to that is our thinking. We must be renewed in the spirit of our minds by the Holy Spirit. He references the work that they are supporting him in. And it has three aspects to it. Notice this. The first is chains. Paul references his chains. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's writing to them from prison. Paul is not only behind bars, but he's shackled. He's in chains, as at other times, like Ephesians and 2 Timothy. While he is there, he is still working on the other two projects or aspects of the work. The defense of the gospel, 
and the validation of the gospel. What are these about? These are legal terms that Paul uses here, so they may refer to the legal defense that Paul is preparing as they get ready to face the charges that will be brought against him when he comes to trial. He's in prison. He's anticipating that he will face trial before the imperial court or the provincial judges. It's quite possible that as in Corinth, the Jewish opponents would be accusing him of teaching a way of worship and piety considered illegal under Roman law, and which would therefore be socially disruptive. And Paul's answer to such a charge would need to be carefully constructed in order to avoid giving more hostages to Roman fortune than absolutely necessary. These were intense times. Following Christ in these days that we're looking at here in Philippians uh, was so very different than what our understanding of what it means to follow Christ here in our context. I think the closest taste that I myself have gotten to understanding the type of context and dynamic and atmosphere that Paul and the Philippians were living in and following Christ in in these times was in my own travels and missions work in China and Pakistan. Where to say you are a follower of Christ is to put your life on the line every day. They knew that they were living a life of risk in living by the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because very similar to the Philippian context here, they had a way of thinking. They possessed a way of thinking. The underground house churches. A way of thinking. A gospel way of thinking that was disruptive to the social order. In that context, communism. And so if they were found or discovered, it could very well mean their lives. Certainly imprisonment, as many of them have been. And so we pray for the persecuted church around the world. And though we pray for them, in many ways and dimensions, we cannot fully comprehend what they live in every day. What it means to follow Jesus in their context. And here we are looking at Philippians, which is very much the same. The good news of Jesus Christ was very disruptive to the social order of things. And at the same time, what Paul is doing here is wanting to be strengthening and confirming the gospel and the people of God in Philippi, laying out the arguments that will show that believing in Jesus makes sense at every level. So, this is one possibility. Paul's getting ready for his trial. However, 
it's equally likely that he is referring to the work of strengthening local believers to hold fast. Turn to the person beside you and tell them, hold fast. Hold fast. It, it, it means to hang on, press on, keep going, don't let go. Hold tightly to Christ and never let go. And he's saying to them, hold fast. He says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians that this is God's work and obviously He is involved in that all the time. He is with us. So what we have here is a window into what is going on in Paul's own heart and mind as he writes from prison amidst physical restrictions and discomfort, prison and chains, as in a very different way we can somewhat relate to with the pandemic experience we've had. Where we've been restricted. We were living under restrictions. We were confined. But yet we are still called even in those restrictions and confinements to be the people of God. And to think like the people of God. <laughs> How much? How much of our thoughts and our attitudes and our dispositions during that pandemic experience have truly been in alignment with the people of God? That's a good question to ask ourselves. So Paul's job is to be helping the community of Philippi to think through the Gospel. Would you say that with me? Think through the Gospel. I want to encourage us to be a people in this congregation who think through the Gospel. The Gospel in which we have believed. Think it through. Paul doesn't want the Philippians to simply suppose that they've said a prayer so they're all on track. Hallelujah. Bless God. Let's go to heaven. No, you're not. You've got to work it out. You've got to think it through so you can stand firm individually and together. When adversity comes. Now, we don't know the adversity that the Philippians knew or that the persecuted church around the world knows. But there is adversity that comes our way. And even in our own adversity, We must so possess our faith in Christ that, that adversity and storms and trial and tribulation will not shake us. Though all around us is being shaken, the kingdom that is within us cannot be shaken. And so Paul is saying, think rightly. It's important that you know how to think. That you think through the faith and the Gospel that you have believed in. It's not a matter of just saying a prayer and woohoo, you're in. But lay hold of this. I like the way Oswald Chambers, that great spiritual writer, puts it. He puts it this way Always make it a practice to stir your own mind thoroughly, to think through what you've easily believed. 
your position is not really yours until you make it yours through suffering and study. It's important, loved ones, that we lay hold of our faith and make it our own as a community and as individuals together. That we think it through. But you know, we are very lazy in this respect. We live in a day where much of the preaching that goes forth from our pulpits is spoon-feeding. And our churches consist of congregations of people that just want to be pacified. Help me. Give me something. Give me a fix to get me through another week. Share something that's going to make me feel good. Give me the warm fuzzies. The Holy Ghost goosebumps. Something. i got to get through this next week. And we have become lazy in our ability to think properly. To think the way Paul is admonishing us to think. The way he is admonishing the Philippians to think. That we would think through this faith. We would think through the person of Christ that we are following and walking with and who is our companion. That we would lay hold of this for ourselves. That we would study, as Paul says to Timothy, to show ourselves approved. That we would be students of the Word, the Scriptures, and the living Word. The person of Jesus Christ who is the Word. But that takes effort. It takes work. It takes diligence. And we don't like that. We're not inclined to that so much, are we? Can we be honest in the room? Yeah? I'm feeling awfully alone up here. I never want to be a pastor or preacher that is just that individual that sticks a pacifier, a soother in your mouth every week and spoon feeds you some pablum that we call the Gospel. I want us to be a people, a congregation that are diligent in studying the Scriptures, in studying the Word Christ Jesus ourselves. If your walk with Christ depends only on this gathering every week and something that you are spoon-fed, then dear ones, your faith is going to be very weak and very shallow and very superficial. But as followers of Christ, and thinking through the Gospel, being people of worship and word and sacrament and faith involves, yes, these gatherings. These are very important times. I'm not diminishing or belittling or devaluing them. As we know, through the pandemic, we missed being able to do this. But our discipleship and our following Christ has to go beyond the walls of this room. To where we are becoming students of the Scriptures, students of the living Word, Christ Jesus. Students of the God that we are walking with and who walks with us and companions us in this work of the Kingdom every day. Knowing Him, as Chambers says, 
for ourselves, stirring up our own minds thoroughly to think through what we have so easily believed. I had to do this myself. I, I, I grew up in, in the home of a, a pastor. I grew up in a Christian home. There was a time in my life where I realized I, I can't just swallow this just because it's, it's the faith of my parents. This has to become mine. I have to possess this for myself. God has no grandchildren. He has kids. He has children, sons and daughters. And I can't follow him on the coattails of my parents' faith or the faith of someone else. I must embrace this and dig into it myself. And that never ends. So then in verse 8, we have this transition to the second half of, half of this opening prayer passage that we've read. In verse 8, Paul says, yes, God can bear witness how much I'm longing for all of you with a deep love, the deep love of King Jesus. Up to this point, we've had Paul's thanks and the reason for the specific thanksgiving that he is offering concerning the Philippians. And now here, this is intercession now, growing. The, the prayer is shifting gears. It's taking on a new dimension. It's, it's intercession growing out of his deep love for them, leading to a prayer for love and wisdom and discernment and right living. In verses 9 to 11. Here we see strong, vigorous, emotional language from Paul to express his love for the Philippians. He longs for them like someone thirsty in a desert. He sees this longing taking place within the Messiah's own affection, yearning with the heart of the Lord Himself. What, a, what an interesting expression Paul uses here. I'm yearning for you. I'm longing for you with the heart of Messiah Himself. It's this, it's this noun that he uses which means to be strengthened from the spleen, the intestines. It's, it's figurative of pity or sympathy from the bowels. Inward affection. Very graphic, very strong language he uses here. It's a vivid Greek word which means guts or entrails. We might say we feel this in the Messiah and we feel it in the gut. It's pulling my messianic heartstrings, Paul is saying. Or, quite vivid yet, I long after you all in the bowels of Christ Jesus. 
I'm not trying to offend or disturb you with this language. I'm trying to get you to see the strength of what Paul is saying here. This is the strength of the language and the grammar and the terminology he's using. I yearn for you. I have a deep love for you from the very guts of Christ. In ancient thought... The viscera, the the inner parts of our anatomy, were regarded as the seat of emotional life. God is referenced in this way in Isaiah 63. As well as humankind is referenced this way in Jeremiah chapter 4. Some commentators see a more mystical meaning in these words. His pulse beats with the pulse of Christ. His heart throbs with the heart of Christ. As though Christ were expressing His love through the personality of His servant. The point is, for Paul, the Messiah's overflowing love is the driver of this work and his longing. Paul has no personal ambition in this. He's not in this for himself. It is the overflowing love of Messiah that is driving him. And the work that he has been called to. And his longing for the people of God. God can bear him witness that this same heart longing is Paul's daily experience as he thinks of the Philippians and as he prays for them. So in verse 9, it's entirely natural then that his first focal point of his prayer should concern their love. He says in verse 9, read it with me. Lift your voices, will you? And this is what I'm praying, that your love may overflow still more and more in knowledge and in all astute wisdom. What an interesting way to present love. Don't you think? In a world like we live in, where love is presented to us in this sloppy, syrupy, sentimental kind of way. You know what I'm saying? Like Hallmarky movish kind of way, movie. You know what I'm saying? I have nothing against Hallmark movies. I'm just saying that we these thing these are the things that often define for us love. Paul's not doing that here at all. What an interesting way to present love. This will be a love that leads to knowledge. A love that leads to astute wisdom. Those are great ideals to have as Christ followers. The first word, Knowledge. It conveys the idea of discerning divine and ethical truth. It it also conveys a biblical sense of knowing God in an intimacy made possible through God's own self-disclosure and received by trusting faith as in our surrender and our salvation in Christ. 
The second word, astute wisdom. It's the word from which we get aesthetic. Asthesis is the Greek word. We get this word aesthetic from it, which refers to the gift of being perceptive, discerning reality, cognizant of what is really going on. You know, we who live in a world of fake news, alternative facts, Twitter tweets that seem to shift everybody's way of thinking, and cancel culture, we who live in this kind of world ought to know how vital this is, especially that we think rightly, that we grow in a love that develops into righteous knowledge and astute wisdom. The ability to discern what is really going on. How does this perception grow out of love? Doesn't love leave you half blind with storms of emotion? Paul sees love here, and and the word is agape, We've done a whole series on agape in the past, as you know. He uses this word agape, love, in terms of the new dimension of knowing and understanding which is opened up with the new world of the gospel that Christ has brung. Paul has in mind the love for God the Creator which leads to a love for God's world. The way God made it. And the way God intends it to be. The way that in Messiah He is remaking it as He makes all things new. Love, in short, is for Paul a new way of seeing and knowing and understanding the world. It's, it's not this sloppy, syrupy, agape stuff. It's, it's a new way of seeing. It's a new way of thinking. It's possessing a new knowledge and a new perception and a new mindset and a new worldview. Love is being expressed in all of this in Messiah. way of knowing and understanding the world through God's eyes which are eyes of love. Of course, as we've already acknowledged, love today has been regularly collapsed into mere syrupy sentiment or a passing whim. We fall in love, we fall out of love. Depending on whether the sun comes up or the clouds are hanging around that day. But for Paul, in Messiah love, would you say that with me? In Messiah love. 
regains its proper stature and strength because love respects and celebrates that which is not oneself. It can reach out to understand things that remain opaque to a hurried or pragmatic or self-centered glance. And we are so hurried and so pragmatic and so utilitarian in this day and age that we live in and, and, and so, so self-centered. Entitlement prevails. And in that kind of an atmosphere, it is hard to see love. It is hard to to see God, to see the epiphanies, to be attentive to His presence in our lives every day. His love in our lives every day. It's all opaque instead. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Well, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to attend worship. I don't know if I want to be a part of it. What's in it for me? This is the the prevailing way of thinking in our culture today. What's in it for me? I am entitled to this. These are my rights. Boy, did that ever blow out in front of us during the pandemic. The pressure that we place even on our healthcare system, loved ones. This is where my mind has been lately. I've been thinking about this, and I haven't come to any conclusion, but I have wondered at times whether we expect far too much from our doctors and nurses. We expect them to perform godlike things. And when they don't, The system has failed us. It has not met my rights. I'm entitled to this. I don't know. You see, what the philosophers then in Paul's day, in the Philippians' day, and now have often struggled to accomplish, that is to see to the very heart of things, Paul prays that the Philippians will be able to do because of the love which responds to the gospel-shaped grace of the Creator and reaches out in joy to understand both creation and new creation in Christ. We begin to see the way Jesus sees. See the world. See circumstances. See the hour in which we live as God sees it. And see His working and His presence and His calling to us in the midst of it all. That we would be obedient children of His, ambassadors of His, representatives of His, and His kingdom in the earth. That through us, the kingdom would come. That through us, 
the, the, way of the, the way that the world thinks would not be advanced, the way that the spirit of the world operates would not be advanced. We would not be uh, joining forces with the voices that speak of my rights, my entitlement, what's in it for me. How have, No, we would be people that think differently and see differently and live differently, Paul says. And it would be disruptive to the prevailing line of thinking. Because we are thinking like Jesus thinks. We are seeing things, striving to see things the way God sees them. The God of love. A love that that is freighted with knowledge and astute wisdom and discernment. A love that, that that is occupied with compassion and putting others before ourselves. A love that that lives for the sake of the other before ourselves. So I don't have to wear a mask. It's my right. I I just do what I want to do. You're not going to make me. And and we, we join our way of thinking with all of these prevailing ways of thinking in the world rather than thinking, well, let's see. Does a mask really make any difference in all of this? I don't really know. But the point is, is I must put others before myself. So I wear a mask. Are you seeing this? Paul says, think rightly. As people of God's new world, as people who are a part who are heirs of Christ Jesus, walking this earth as God is is making all things new and, and, and slowly and patiently bringing about the fermentation of His kingdom in the earth, making all things new. And as we are people that represent that, we are to think as He thinks, think rightly, and therefore live rightly. And so our attitudes and our dispositions and our outlook and our mindsets, all of that is different. And so the result of this in verse 10 will be another philosophical goal being reached by a new route. Look what he says. Read it with me. In fact, it's on the screen. Lift your voices. Then able to tell the difference between good and evil, and be sincere and faultless on the day of Messiah. You see this? Then you will be able to tell. He prays that this wise love will result in moral discernment. Ethical discernment. they will be able to distinguish things that differ. They lived as we do in a world where several moral issues were blurred and distorted. And it was often hard to see what was the right thing to do. I keep referring to the pandemic because it's still so fresh for us as a reference point 
to illustrate these things. But we, 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 we were walking through days, and still to some degree very much are, where what is the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do in this? How should we as the people of God live? What are the attitudes we should possess? How should we think? What is the disposition and mindset we should have? And Paul longs to see them grow in the ability to tell the difference between what is right and wrong, between good and evil, between light and darkness, when so often they appear at first glance as shades of gray. That way, he says, they will approach the coming day of the Lord, the King's great day, with confidence. Because God will be transforming their whole lives into holiness that goes beyond even the ritual purity that was demanded of the priests in the temple of that day. The word he uses for sincere and faultless seem to carry that implication. And so this letter has quite a lot to say about Advent. The coming day. The coming of the Lord. And the main thing to say is that Christ followers can look forward to it with confidence and joy. Because they are thinking rightly. With wisdom and discernment and the right attitude and disposition and character. The character they need to develop and we need to develop ahead of that time is to be sincere, to be faultless. then we can look forward to that day with confidence. Would you stand together with me as Philip and the team come? I wonder if I can invite you to Raise your hands and hold them out in front of you, just like this. And there's absolutely no obligation. If you don't feel like doing this, don't do it. We're not here to make you do anything you don't want to do. But in childlikeness, in childlikeness before the Father, because as Jesus said, In the Gospel of Matthew, as we, as we shared that, that verse which is so key in the life of Faye Monkman, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom. And so in childlikeness, we extend our hands before you today, Father, and we say, by your Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come and wash over our minds? Would you come and rinse through our thinking? Rinse through the way we think.
rinse over our hearts. As thinking involves the heart, not just the mind. Rinse over our inner being, our inner man, our inner woman today. That we might be renewed in the spirit and the attitude of our thinking. And so our outlook would be affected. So the way we live would be affected. So our attitudes and dispositions would be affected. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy always and ever extended to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you always have mercy upon us. And, and in, in coming through these recent days of pandemic, if in any way we have failed to think rightly, to think in these terms, in this framework, in these ways that Paul is laying out to the Philippians and to us today under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of Christ Jesus. The way you, Jesus, yourself lived. If any failure on our part has taken place as your people through these days in our attitudes, in our outlook, in our our dispositions, would you forgive and cleanse? And would you rinse over our minds and hearts again today, afresh in this new year on the calendar, that we may enter into this new year differently, with a different outlook, a different way of thinking, thinking like Jesus, as we're going to see as we move on in this letter to the Philippians into chapter 2, where Paul admonishes us to have the same attitude and way of thinking as Christ. And then he poetically unfolds what that involves and entails as Christ came and died. Help us to be a people that die to ourselves, that lay our lives down for the sake of the kingdom, that Christ Jesus may live through us and prevail through us in this world around us, in our relationships at work, at home, in our neighborhoods, on those committees that we're involved in, on those different teams and task forces that we serve on, um, whatever we are involved in and whoever we are relating with, that we would always be mindful of Jesus, King Jesus, and thinking like Jesus and having the attitude of Jesus and the outlook of Jesus, who is the very complete manifestation of God. You, O oh God, Yahweh, help us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Equip us and resource us because we cannot do this in and of ourselves. We need you. Just as you 
anointed and filled Jesus on that day of baptism as we read in our scripture reading earlier. May you fill and anoint us to be able to live rightly, think rightly, and look forward with confidence to your coming every day. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray this for us, for all of us.